strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. And when you shared the story, um, as horrific as it is, that has been the reality of this period. Um, many people in our space, even some of the women who volunteer in our programs, have themselves in their homes experienced um, the silent pandemic, the one that wasn't talked about um, on the news. The numbers you know, are not recorded, and the impact is it's it's impossible to to measure. Strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees, from the poplar trees. All right. Good evening to um, each and every person listening. Good afternoon. Um, good morning. Whenever you're listening. Um, it is my pleasure to be here to host the first ever Black Men's and Bezo podcast. And um, I guess the reason why we're hosting this podcast is because unlike in previous years, we are not able to actually meet together. We are not able to actually be together um, in one place necessarily. And this has been a very interesting year. And speaking with many of the BMI champions and many of the people associated with our work, they wanted us to reflect on what this pandemic has revealed about the black man, um, about the home, about masculinity as we know it. And of course, at the BMI, we are moved by having transformative discussions. And we, I believe it was in, in 20... 2017 was it in Velo? 2017 or 2018? When we had our first uh, Black Men's in Bezo in Velo, Sam, I can't remember. It was 2018. 2018. 2018. 2018. Yeah, 2018. We've been having these conversations trying to push the, the boundary of what it is that it means to be a man and um, how we, as young Black men, wish to see ourselves in the years to come. So <clears throat> I guess um, I'll, I'll, I'll start, you know, with, with each of the few of the guys joining us. What did, you know, COVID-19 reveal about the black man for you and about the whole? What did COVID-19 reveal about the black man for you and the home? I think why this question is important is because this year, really has brought us home in the sense that people often would hide behind the streets, criminality, things like that, in the sense that rape, abuse, violence against women, children, so forth, happens on the streets. But in this year where people were confined at home, the stats, the cases, the surge of the oppression of women in our country made it evident that the real problem is at home. That the real problem is in our house. That as one um, brother put it at our first debut, or the monster is not on the outside, but the monster might very well be within. So I guess, uh, gentlemen, and I'm joined by Pupu, Velo, Samuel Tabiso, and we'll have maybe others in the days to come. Um, what did COVID-19 reveal about the black man for you and the whole? Um, hi, everyone. Um, I think I just want to touch on the aspect of home first, and then I think as we go on, um, we'll look at uh, the black men. Um, but one thing I think what um, COVID-19 really revealed is the fact that we don't have a home. Like, generally, the wow. black man has never been invested in building a home, right? 
And so when COVID-19 happened, lockdown level five, everyone had to go back into um, what we call the homeboy house. And you realize that as a black man, whether you're the father or a brother, you actually don't know how to interact with the people around you. You don't know how to communicate. You don't know how to actually live with people so close to you, seeing them every day. And I think it's, it raises that challenge as to actually how, how does one actually invest their time and commit towards actually building a home as the man? And I think another perspective one would say, it, it seems as if the woman has been more committed towards actually raising a home or building um, that environment than the man. But I think just that, to start it off, I think what it did really reveal is the fact that there is no home. And yeah, but we'll continue on that. I think just, that's my first thought. Mvelo, I think, uh, thank you so much for that. And I just, you know, want to just have a, a little back and forth with you real quick. Um, I remember we were having the Imbizo at a certain government department. And it's yeah. one of the more prestigious government departments and they have this difficult program, you know, that you have to get into if you want to work there and they attract thousands of applicants and only a few get yeah. in. And I'm, I'm there in this room with these, this, this creme de la creme of men, you know, these, and it's men from all over, from rural areas, uh, metropolitan areas, but they're, they're, they've studied, they've worked. And th these are going to be guys who, you know, um, are, are supposed to be excellent and, 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 have high emotional quotient and so forth. And they're going to be representing our country all over the world, you know. And one of the men, you know, stands up and he articulates something that all the other brothers confirm afterwards. He says, we don't have this. He said, you know, the Imbizo in that space was the first time them as men could actually speak about their emotions. Yeah. It was the first time they could actually come out and be like, I'm scared. I'm tired. I'm overwhelmed. And when you said the black man has no home, it, 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 it resonated because so many things that we've heard and you yourself as well would know from, from the amount of imbizos you've, you've been involved with, not just this year in KZN, but all over, um, is that the black man doesn't have a place to rest. Yeah. Now, my question to you is, and I hear that, is, is it really that we have no place to rest or is it that we just don't know how to rest? Oh, wow. And you know, brothers can correct me if I'm, I'm wrong and I know Tabiso has his hand up, but is it really, and I would say that, that maybe from man to man, we don't know how to, to do it, but is it really that our mothers, our lovers, our sisters, and maybe even our brothers, aren't there to comfort us? Or is it that we don't know how to be vulnerable enough, how to let down the walls yeah. in such a way that we're actually able to receive rest? Is it possible that it's, the problem isn't so much that we don't have a home, but that we don't know how to be at home? Yeah. Um, I think, um, I, 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 I don't know um, how far our conversation is going to go today, but like uh, an aspect I really want to bring in is the idea of just the environment and looking at just the South African man, right? Um, just where they come from. It's, it's been, I don't know, call it a busy environment, but it's also been such a violent and chaotic environment that we've actually never had the time to stand still and be like, hey, actually, how am I? Um, how do I express myself, you know, even from the time of um, Shaga Zulu conquering the kingdoms to colonization to apartheid, it's always been just one battle to the next battle and an identity that's been conferred on men to say, you need to be in the front lines, you need to do this. And when you said that we've had these walls built up, and, and, and that's so true, because even as, as, as a Black man myself, the one thing that I've always found challenging is how do I actually let the walls down, you know? And because I think also another thing is that how do you actually create a home when within yourself, you are not at home? Or so to say, you cannot really find rest until your innermost part is actually addressed and that can transcend to your environment. So I think just to put it at that and then. 
Yeah, Tabiso, you've had your hand up. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, no, uh, hi, guys. Um, no, I just want to add to that and say that perhaps as men, we don't know, you know, how to open up and we, we don't know what it means to be at home, right? Um, I was reading this, uh, this forum on, on Reddit where former females who had undergone the, you know, the, you know, their uh, transformation process of being males now, um, the, the, the biggest takeaway uh, after the, you know, the, the transformation was that they just aren't able to open up in the same way that they did with women and men in general, you know, when, when they communicate, yeah. they, they are more impatient and more insensitive. So if you ask someone how their day was, a simple question like that, it's, you know, it's, it's just met with it. Yeah, it was okay. Even though the, the person had a busy schedule the whole day and their day was more eventful than the average person, they'd still give a very, you know, uninteresting answer, you know. And I think that also reflects in, in our home where the, the, the only thing we know how to do at home is just to be functional, but not present. And mm. that's... In, you know, that reflected a lot during COVID-19 where um, it, 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 it actually showed that a lot of men were frustrated and because they were at home, but they, they didn't want to be there. And the places that they did want to be could be at work or at the tavern or I don't know, right? But the, the places where they wanted to go, they couldn't go because of the, you know, the uh, lockdown regulations. And uh, that in turn just created, um, you know, a, a very uh, frustrated home. And uh, I mean, you know, you know, the the twenty five percent increase in divorce will reflect that, and the you know the increase in uh, you know gender based violence, you know, to some extent, will also um, support that statement. And uh, yeah, that's all I have to say about that. And and the thing is, you know, I. Tabisu, you spoke about the places where we wanted to be. We wanted to be watching sports. We wanted to be at the taverns. We wanted to be, you know, um, with friends. And I remember, I think it was last year, if I'm not mistaken, that we had uh, an imbizo at a tavern. And one of the things you realize is all these male gathering spots are, they're not designed for men to actually engage at an emotional level, at a soulical level. Mm. They're not actually created or designed for us to actually engage on what's happening inside. And I wonder whose job is that? You know, and this is, is, a, is a session with brothers only, maybe later on we'll add women to it, but oftentimes I feel like we, we want, we, we relegate the responsibility to take stock of our insights to the women in our lives. And we expect these women to come in and deal with all these things that we ourselves are not willing to deal with. And I know Pupu's hands up, so I'm gonna pass to him now and I, and Pupu, please comment on, on you know, what's on your mind, but also would you perhaps help or touch on why are we as men unable to provide comfort to each other? You know, then this is an observation I've seen in, in several settings and in several organizations that I'm a part of. Men are so much more comfortable opening up to women, opening up to members of the opposite sex, almost as if we ourselves know that if I want comfort, I can't go to a guy. And when we say, you know, it's a boy's night, I need my man cave. It's never to really open up. It's maybe to talk nonsense. It's maybe to to let things out through stupid behavior like, like drinking and, and acting out aggressively and, you know, watching sports. It's, it's maybe outlets, but it's never us actually dealing with what's going on. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think, yeah, I think the point really does tie into that and what you, what Tabiso was saying, that the places that we want to be and you really addressed what they are is that they're actually not designed like what you're saying they're not designed for 
for us to engage at a solical level. And I think that's because those are environments that don't value that. Say, so we don't value vulnerability. We don't value the mechanisms required for rest, honesty, and being open and being able to sit in a place with your heart and the state of your heart and not necessarily have an answer, you know? And I think that comes a lot from the identity that we are learned, we learn to adopt as we grow up or what a man should be, you know, and consequently all environments where men are, where men want to be are not, don't value the, the elements of rest or the things that bring rest, you know? And I think the reason, and that's the reason why we actually go to women because we don't learn the actual skills of how to be vulnerable, how to open up, how to let your heart out, and then how to deal with that in a healthy manner and how to sit through the process of that discomfort and stay there. And, and I think when you ask whose responsibility it is, I think it's, it very much is men's responsibility and more than anything to not only do it in our homes, but to do it in those environments that don't value it. Since afternoon, it's, uh, I had like this funny observation that something um, I'd always had a frustration with because I work with young men is they, they young men tend to have a very young black men have a very bad relationship with authority and in particular male authority. So they, they tend not to be open, be willing to make suggestions and suggestions and things like that and to engage with the authority and even challenge the authority. And it had, it's been something that I've always wanted for a long time, but I then realized that my behavior would ultimately determine that. And I think today, really today, there was an amazing moment where one after the other, two young men stopped me in the middle of what I was doing and asked me to explain something and actually suggested something completely contrary to what I was saying. And we had to have a discussion about it. And after the one had it, I realized that he actually felt so safe. This is a kid who um, six or seven months ago would just say yes to everything even if he didn't care and just act out. But he was actually suggesting things, speaking and opening up. And then another kid came and did it the same. And, and in that moment, I realized that it was literally because myself as the authority figure made that an availability. So I'm, I'm, I, based on my behavior and what I do on a day-to-day basis, they felt that they can do that in that environment. And I think that's where the responsibility is. It's on us as men within those environments to ensure that they do value vulnerability, they value openness and they value the state of our hearts. And even just with such a small thing that relative to their work or relative to what they're doing, they can communicate with the, with the figure of authority. Um, I think as we continue, we... I think it's important to be able to even have environments where young men can communicate the states of their heart beyond just their work in the same environment. Mm, you know, and um, Pupu, you, you said something here, and I know it might, you know, shift our conversation a bit, but you, you talked about you as the figure in authority stepping out and creating an environment where people can speak. And I need you brothers to balance me here, you know. And Samuel, you know, you're also on the call. And Sam Samza, one of our champions from Nigeria. And maybe you can add, you know, a cross-continental picture to see maybe if some of these things overlap um, and how they, they might differ. But if we're the heads of the home, quote-unquote, right? I mean, I hear that all the time in our imbizos. Um, that apparently is uh, something very common in, in Bantu cultures around the continent. If we are the heads of the home, and, and like Pupu was mentioning, if the authority figure is able to set the tone, then is it possible that when we look at our homes and the inability for our homes to be places of rest, place, places of healthy communication, um, places of openness, how much of that is perhaps a failure um, that that should be laid at our feet. How, how much of that is, is something we should be responsible for? You know, I mean, um, and, and please, you can, you can speak from your own experience. Um, is, you know, something I heard um, in, in one of our imbizos was a brother speaking about how 
in a black home, oftentimes there are two, there are two laws, there are two realities. There's the home when mom's in charge, when, when mama's there, and then that's what happens when papa arrives. And he would explain that when his father would get home, it's like the house would turn into an army camp. Everyone's running around, everyone's becoming you know, more militaristic. You need to make sure that the food's ready, so forth, so forth. And it's almost like they lived in two different systems, depending on which parent was, was at home. Um, Sam, yes, I see your, your, um, your mic's on. So I think um, one, one thing I think I've learned is um, kids or like boys tend to like copy whoever they see as the father figure a lot. Like they look up to like such people so much. And I think one thing that will always happen is whatever they see this person do, they'll always try to replicate. And I think if this person makes themselves available or creates an environment where it's easy to like speak up, then I think it's a habit the child would develop. And over time, even when they like in other situations where they, where there are like other authority figures, because they're used to being in an environment where it's easier to speak up and all that they wouldn't find it as difficult to speak up. And then I think one thing that all, that's also like common in black homes is when kids want something, they tend to go through their mothers because the father isn't like as accessible. And I think it's one thing we as men and fathers need to change because kids should be able to speak to their fathers and like, without fear, without like having to worry, it's going to be like a rejection or a downright no. Yeah. That, that, that's, that, that's, that's so true. You know, it's the accessibility of the fathers at home. I don't know if any of the other brothers want to touch on, well, who, who's responsible for the, how the home is. You know, we, we opened up saying, you know, we have no place to rest. There is no home for us. But then, um, who, who is in charge of that home? Who's supposed to be setting the tone? I don't know if there are any other brothers who uh, want to touch on this. Um, hi. Yes, Mbele. Hello. Oh, yes. Um, I think from my side, uh, it's just uh, definitely the man, right? Um, and why, why do I say this? And yes, maybe um, other people might be progressive in, in, in a sense where they might be saying that, you know, headship is by the female. But when we look at just the African culture, is that its foundation is male headship, right? And it would be um, incorrect for us to, when we're looking at just history and where uh, the South African home is right now, the African home is right now to not, um, when you're trying to look for who's accountable for whether or the state of the home, to not consider uh, the fact that the foundations were laid on the fact that the male is the head. And so when we're looking at who's setting the tone right now, um, it has to be the male. And we really need to be honest enough or humble enough to recognize that we haven't been doing things correctly or we actually haven't been just on um, our fellow counterparts. Hi. Yes, Pupu. So I just add to that. I think um, in terms of who's responsible for the state of the household, I would say that every single person inside the household contributes to how the household is. How the household is. However, just like in, in line with Amvel was saying, I do believe that the extent to which every part of the family, every member of the family is able to contribute is dependent on how um, the male creates room for that to happen. Meaning that, you know, it's in the extent to which a woman is able to exercise her own authority and her own touch and feel on a home will depend on the extent to which her, will, her or the be it husband would be willing to offer that. And similarly with children, I think um, the extent to which kids are able to contribute to what the family and how the family is doing 
is dependent on how the fathers, number one, view the children's place in the home, and secondly, make that or create a space where the children can contribute to that. So I think the I, I would agree very much in Velo that the state of the man is a major factor in how people can contribute within the building of homes, you know, and the building of communities or the small community that is a family. Wow, no, I, I love that, um, Pupu. And uh, I guess, you know, and I, and I mean, I know we have so many questions and I'm watching time, but I just want to touch on that and maybe Tabiso can help us here. Do you think that black male headship or black leadership in the home right now is collaborative? Because I think in, in, in what we've seen in the season where we have kids coming back home who are part students and they need to take care of their younger siblings and you know, um, there's domestic duties and, and people are being retrenched and it's such a crazy environment when we come home, we all need to work together toward a vision. But it seems to me, and, and you know, I'm open to anyone saying this differently, certainly in my conversations with men and, and in, in our imbizos, that somehow we, we seem to carry this weight. Um, yo, I hope this doesn't sound too rude. This weight that we dismally fail to carry, where in our heads, it's like, we, we think we're men when we're able to handle all of this without flinching and without asking anyone for help. But then when we look at the actual reality of our society, the evidence points towards women carrying the majority of the burden and not men. So it's, it's, it's very weird. It's almost like we, we, we it, it's kind of like inception you know, where there's like multiple realities where there's this idea that exists in our head that I'm a man and I'm able to handle everything and carry everything. And this weight ends up crushing the man to the point where the man almost does nothing. And in seven out of 10 black homes, fathers are absent. And by absent, I don't mean they don't like emotionally absent as in they're not in the home, which is fundamentally unacceptable. So, what, what is this weight and, and why is it when we do have the benefit of having fathers who are in the home, meaning physically present, they seem to have this idea that they must carry these, these burdens and they don't talk about it. They don't, they don't wince when they're tired. They don't sigh. They don't want to flinch. And they're just carrying all these things and it ends up being a very unhealthy environment for all around because we want to help, but we're not even put in a position when we can because I don't know about you. Have you ever had your father reach out? You know, I think many of us would say the only times we've seen our fathers reach out or our parents reach out, reach out in general is when we start working and they reach out for money. Mm. <laughs> um. You know, we, we just, we're just being honest. We're just being honest, you know, and I know it's so real, but I'm, I'm just being honest. Society socializes us to hyperemphasize the attributes that society has classified as masculine because a man must be masculine and almost suppress, neglect, or crucify elements that society categorizes as feminine. So for example, there, you know, you, you've seen movies, a child falls down and he runs to his mom when he desires comfort. And that that's not a problem. I just wonder how many men are also capable of being comforters, but have purposely, you know, killed that element of their personality in an attempt to subscribe to the notions of masculinity that society has presented. Um, I, I, someone wrote here, can fathers even reach out? You know, there's one of the comments on, on the chat is, can fathers even reach out? I guess, I don't know, brothers. Um, is there anyone uh, who, who um, and I'm seeing someone say, you know, I think we need to redefine what strength is. This will assist us greatly. The fundamental values of manhood or what it is to be a man need to be dealt with seriously. Um, 
first of all, just has, is, can anyone here tell us if their father reached out to them during this period? This was a stressful period in the home. And everyone could tell that there was stress in the home. Bills needed to get paid. People getting unemployed. Is there anyone who was like, you know what? Their parents actually came in and there was a family meeting held. Um, and people talked. They were like, guys, it's lit. Guys, it's stressful. Guys, it's a difficult period. Let's work together. Or was it the, what apparently seems common where no matter how hard it is, we just assume that everyone understands what's going on and we move. Okay, can I give an interesting answer? Yes. My answer is, I don't know, right? That's purely based <laughs> on that, the, 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 the lack of communication that there is between my father and the rest wow. of us in the house. There is just like no... Like even his his body language, it does not change even when he's going through <laughs> stuff. So you, you you literally cannot tell, you know. Uh, th- th- there was actually a time where he he was going through a very 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 serious um, uh, process where he was being accused of things he didn't do and he could have been imprisoned. But we only found out two months afterwards that he was going through all of that. Oh and wow! We did wow. not notice. He wow. did not communicate it. So it did make me feel very uneasy, you know, like just hearing in the news that people are getting retrenched, but my father is silent, like, you know, and I, I, I was very, um, I was very careful in, uh, in even thinking that I, maybe I should ask him what's going on because maybe he might feel offended. Maybe, you know, uh, you know, his masculinity might be, you know, damaged. So I, I, you're I, challenging his ability, his prowess as a provider. Right, right, definitely. So uh, yeah, I just, you know, traded very carefully with that, and at, in the end, I, I just decided not to ask. It's just better like that, and God will, you know, um, you know, will <laughs> fix everything that is uh, broken on that side. Yeah, no, just to answer. Wants to be honest, like, did, did your dad, your uncle, your brother come to you and be like, hi, guys, it's real? Or was it just radio silence? I, I um, really can go. Oh, sorry, Pop, no, continue. Oh, thank you. Um, so I had a very funny one where... Um, <laughs> So my, my dad is actually a very funny person. So um, it's like two different things. But the first one is like, I actually got retrenched during COVID. So the company I work for closed down. And then and it, was very, um, it was relatively public. And then my dad called me one day. He was like, hi, how are you? I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm like, I'm well, I'm well. And he says to me, he's like, so I hear in the news that your company closed down. I was like, yes, yes, yes. And he's like, so what's going to happen to you? I was like, well, I've been retrenched. I don't have a job. And he goes, huh okay okay so what now you know <laughs> emphasize was like how men were so trained to just like solve the problem to like like what are you going to do next that you don't mm-hmm. have time to like ask all the other stuff and it was so it's like how are you yeah like are you okay yeah. yeah just like so what now what does this mean what are you going to do he's like what's your plan dude and funny enough my mom on the other hand like my mom had more stress than me. Like she was like, Oh my goodness, you're not going to have a job. She was like, don't worry. You'll just stay here at home and we'll figure things out. And then on days, like if I would just happen to be quiet, she was like, are you okay? Are you struggling with the fact that you're getting retrenched? And how even myself, like in that moment, what should have been a stressful period is that I've actually learned to, to manage that aspect of stress to be like, you know, what? the reality is I just need to be fine right now so I can figure this thing out. And that was like the thing, like my head was just like, we will figure this thing out. Um, and it is only like after the fact that I actually got to reflect on the situation and be like, actually, I missed the place. It was fun, all the people I met and how much it actually meant to me for the amount of time I spent there and how, how, how interesting that period was. So I think that's like, that just highlights how men, funny enough, we're, we're so we're so bad at dealing with the internal aspects of events. Like we're so trained to just solve the problem, to just get things done, you know? Um, and I think that for me has, 
has actually become a frustration because we recently experienced quite an intense family trauma. And one of the big things has been getting my father in particular to speak, you know, because it's at a point mm-hmm. we are all very aware and it's very clear that he is struggling and that he actually, we need to speak and realizing that there's fundamentally a problem where in order for him to be able to speak about what he's going through because it affects all of us, he actually has to go get outside help. He has to go to someone else, pay them money, and then speak to that person and then come back to us and tell us how that conversation went. And that just shows you the extent to which I believe that as, as black men, the manner in, in which we experience or rather the manner in which we value vulnerability, openness, speaking, and the way in which we structure our homes and our families is very flawed and very problematic, you know? Um, so yeah, we, we, we need to do better as men you know um i'm I'm grateful for the honesty that 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 everyone's having um you know our final question for this evening we're going to continue with the rest tomorrow oh yes no velo yes sorry almost forgot yes um like just i think two things right um on just well to answer the first question is um like with my family right like my dad has just always been like, you know what, um, I'm a black man and I need to make sure that all responsibilities are met and I do everything, right? Like he even prides himself in being a responsible father because for him, like success is the fact that he can provide. And so COVID-19 happened. My father got the virus and it's weird how after like his recovery, when as a family, we're talking about that period. For him, it's fine. Like the only person who was actually stressed out and like you can only get the true account of that season from my mother. For him, it's even so difficult to actually express that, hey guys, that was like a time in my life. Because my mom, when she's like, I think I was going to lose my husband. But my dad, you can't, you won't even hear him say, I think I was going to die in that period. Because for him, it's just like, yeah, no, I'm back, guys. Um, let's continue with life. You know, and I realize like it's 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 so hard for like black men to genuinely just express um, what they're going through. And then I think just one thing to touch on uh, the question you asked Tabiso, right, um, on uh, collaboration um, of headship within the family, right? Like there's this other dialogue that we had, and we asked um, the group because we had like males and females there, and we asked them, um, what's your definition of headship, right? And what was interesting is that no one had the same definition of what headship was from the males and the females, right? And then what interested me was like, how do you actually then get into a relationship with someone who has a different idea of what headship is? And also just now going back to the fact that can they actually collaborate within uh, the structure of family and I, I don't think there is a possibility of that because in our view, you'd have one group where they're saying that headship of the male is the fact that they come home, they bring in the money, and they need to be served with, with food. Whilst maybe the female is the fact that when he comes home, he must help me with making the food. And I realize that, that that's where like, there's a break in unity. Um, within just uh, yeah, how there, there isn't a, a value system that can actually allow us to collaborate. Yeah. And and I guess Velo, then should that vision be a discussion? Definitely. Um, one thing that I found actually a challenge in um, trying to rope in right um, just uh, the whole group is that. Once you actually start speaking about headship, it's not only just the cultural um, conversation, but it's also religious, right? And yes. There needs to be a foundation of it. And then once you realize the dynamics of the group, that it's actually not easy to come out and say, maybe my understanding of headship is from uh, just Hinduism. And then once it's not easy to project that to a group of people who might not subscribe yeah. to your and belief. So mm-hmm. it's... Uh, Culture and religion are dominant, but culture and religion have almost remained static as the social circumstances has, have changed. 
So culture and religion, to a certain extent, you know, still would teach that provision entitles one to lead, the ability to provide, right? Yeah. Entitles one to lead. And now we live in a society where women, females can provide just as well and even better than males in many circumstances. So now if the wallet qualified you for headship, what happens when she has a bigger wallet than you? And I guess, you know, this leads us directly to the second question as to how did, you know, COVID-19 affect, you know, the black man and his hope. And you can start with you, your experience, um, your personal experience, and also you can move it more generally. Because what happens now when I'm not able to provide? What happens when I don't have work? What happens when I don't have the escape of going to an office or going to the factory or going to the mine every day? What happens when I find myself in a situation where my kids and my wife need things and I'm not able to be there emotionally? I'm not able to be there uh, as, a, as a comforter or as a source of rest or as someone to talk to and I don't communicate. The only thing that justifies my presence and my leadership in the house is the money that I bring. And now the money that I bring is either less or if I'm retrenched, I'm not bringing any money at all. So how has this affected the black man? How has it affected our homes? Um, I think I'll just um, stick on the aspect of just identity, right? To say that I'm um, just like, like largely like the identity of the black man came from um, the ability to provide. And so when uh, you can no longer provide, it's the fact that like your identity as um, a male is actually being challenged. And now the issue is that like, how do you then actually like rebuild your identity? Like where do you actually go to, um, to actually find that reference to say that I'm still valued, I'm still worth something in a space where I can no longer pro, um, continue um, uh, doing the functions that I usually did before. And so I think more than anything, um, most black males found themselves in really an identity crisis within um, this season of COVID-19. And I guess the question is like, how does one actually um, restore or do you find a new identity? What do you do in that case? Yeah, that, that's, that, that's, that's an important question. I, and I think we're going to touch on it, you know, um, towards the, the, the end of, of one of our discussions. But I love something you said, which was that, you know, the pandemic led to an identity crisis. Um, and we'll get into this, I guess, uh, uh, more in our next discussions, but the absence of alcohol, the absence of sports, the absence of, of work for some has taken away so much of the, the armor that we wore and that, that we wear as, as men in this country. And it, it left many men feeling naked, you know, left many men feeling naked. I don't know uh, who else wants to speak about, you know, how the pandemic um, affected, you know, men in their space, men in their community and, and men in general. Okay. Um, I'll give a fairly personal um, reflection on, um, uh, you know, on how my identity was questioned a lot during the COVID-19. So um, I was, you know, forced by circumstance to, you know, live in cohabitation, which wasn't my ideal setup, but again, circumstances, right? Um, and um, in the household, you know, uh, I, I was always questioning my you know my power because it's not my domain anymore this is her place this is you know her comfort zone this is where she you know has all the control and i found myself sort of trying to find ways to to garner some power and you know you know with, without being too intrusive i found myself actually doing like doing and buying things without asking for her permission right to sort of assert 
that mm. you know that you, you know that uh, I'm the know, man, that, yeah. right that atmosphere that I can provide I can do things you know I can make things yeah, happen all by myself right and I don't <laughs> I don't need your assistance and you know you know I've, I, I, I find that to be very uh, you know um, I don't know like it, it to me it, it came across as being insecure because you know, I, I sort of realized why I'm doing these things. I mean, there, there's a reason behind like most of the things that we do. And I, and I actually found that I'm doing these things because I'm in this position where I'm below and I'm the expendable in this household. So um, I would like to think a lot of men felt like that because again, we, you know, we, we, I mean, we've, we've, we've gone to see that, the home is not our natural environment. So when we are sort of caged in in that environment, you know, we, we, we sort of have to play by someone else's rules. And that might, you know, maybe arise and um, bring to light some insecurities that men have. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Um, it, it's, talking about male insecurity is, is Every it's it's almost as if every Mbizwan is is a conversation around identity, and it in every situation, every circumstance, quite literally, whether it's been adversities or in taverns or in government settings or in community centres, it's impossible to remove the the present struggles from the crisis of identity that we have as men in this country. Um, funny enough, there was a conversation we had in one um, government department where there was a white man in the room and he came to me and he spoke to me afterwards and he said, you know, Mike, I'm actually quite sad that, you know, you guys create these events targeted towards black men primarily because I feel like Every man needs this. And um, his, his words are true, you know. His words are true. There's, there's that identity crisis. And it often manifests in insecurity. And how we express our insecurities many times through violence, many times through behaving in, in irrational ways, uncollaborative ways, as Tabiso said, you know, just spending money to prove that and buying things to prove that, you know, you can do things all by yourself. Um, I don't know who else wants to share about how, you know, this present pandemic affected them, affected their masculinity, affected, you know, um, themselves. Maybe, you know, tomorrow we can get into how this pandemic affected male sexual expression. You know, not being able to have sex, not being able to to be with women in the, ways that people are used to, you know, um, not being able to, to pursue women for those who are in the habit of pursuing women regularly because you're at home, you know, and you're having limited space and scope. So I don't know who else wants to share about how, how the pandemic affected them and people in their community. Um, is it... Pupu? I, yes. Yeah, and, and Pupu, I would love for you to share some of the stories from, from your industry, being in sports, about how the pandemic affected some of uh, those in your industry's uh, sexual, um, <laughs> in, you know, uh, habits, if yeah. I can put it like. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think there's a... There's a there's a savory way of 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 expressing such right now, but I think um, the my experience of what the pandemic did to black men is actually like both in the good and in the bad, um, and just related specifically to my industry. So I think what did happen was like this massive explosion, particularly in our industry of collaboration and and a desire to learn, you know, and to really open up learning channels. Um, 
two people. And I, I think the amount of Zoom meetings I was on that had nothing to actually do with my work, but someone asked me either randomly calling someone, someone randomly calling me for us to just talk about what is possible in our industry, what we can do, how, what contributions we can make and just trying to reinvent and relearn, you know, or learn new things and learn new skills in that period. Because honestly, I think after the second month, we realized there was nothing better to do. Um, it took us like, yeah, two months to watch all the all hide lights. And then we realized that no guys, now we just need to do something. <laughs> you know, that it was terrible when the sports channels were rerunning Rerun. old games. And I was like, guys, we, we can't do this. There's, there's only a, a certain number of times you can watch the same game over and over again within yeah. you know, a month. No, no, it was crazy. But I think the, then the other side of it, the dark side was, um, and this is, I suppose, where I think a lot of men then experience again, because of the cyclical nature of this experience, a lot of loneliness is that we realized we don't have, or I should speak about myself, that I don't have the mechanisms to deal with like emotional strain and stress and the emotional aspects of living with someone. Um, so I'd lived, I've basically lived alone for like years and then the pandemic forced me to move home. So I was in a home, a sharing um, home with my mom. And then I realized that I actually don't have like, the emotional skills to live with someone. And, and at first I was like, wow. I deal with my mom, but then I realized that I actually just can't deal with living with someone. I can't deal with the fact that their mood will never coincide with mine. Their desires will never coincide with mine and realize, and actually I realized I don't know. I, I don't have the skill of, 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 of like healthy confrontation. I don't know how to say, Hey, I don't like that. Listen, we live together and I don't like this and how to have a healthy conversation around that. Um, so I just out passively, either passively, aggressively be silent or just like make snark remarks and things like that. And realizing that I actually ha I, I have to learn that I have to learn the emotional aspects of interacting with other people in an intimate, closed environment where everything will necessarily bring up, will necessarily have an emotional attachment to it based purely on our proximity. You know, um, I can't the pandemic meant that I can't just leave. I can't go anywhere else. I have to deal with the thing, with the situation in its fullness. So it's not just the fact that I didn't close the door. There's the emotional ish baggage that comes with not having closed the door when I should have. And that I actually have to sit through all of that and work through all of that and get to the other end and realize the primary issue is that I'm really self-centered and I don't much care for the space that I share with other people. And that's why I didn't close the door. You know, that, and that is such a, that was such a, a difficult, difficult process. And I, and in some parts of it, I experienced loneliness because I was like, who do I turn to? You know, how do I have this conversation? And then other times I was very, very fortunate, you know, um, a lot of the BMI champions, I could like speak to and be like, guys, I'm actually going through this um, for various ways. And they would actually be able to assist me. So I think a lot of men would have, because I, I think we are a very fortunate community that we can have conversations like this and that we have each other to have them with, even outside of like these kind of, con these kind of settings. That I, I imagine that a lot of men experienced a lot of loneliness in that regard, you know, of being able to yeah, express. Yeah. Because, you know, sometimes like, I think like COVID also forced us, even if you didn't want to, you had to like look at your life. Like I, I yes. like, like I think I spent the first two months just learning the vocab of like, I had to learn how to express the fact that I think I'm actually just learning things about myself. And, and that's such a difficult process that it's very hard to do on your own. And I think men are natural propensity to be like isolated and be by ourselves and figure things out in our own head was, was not conducive. And I think it, it might if you didn't get the opportunity to have someone assist you might have left you in a more difficult place. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, just to reiterate something you said, I think community is very powerful. Mm -hmm. And I think the most powerful aspect of, of the BMI actually for me is, is are the BMI champions, you know? Um, um, yeah, it, it is the BMI champions really, because during this period, especially um, when 
every week and really cyclically we had different atrocities taking place in our country and many of you would know and i have shared this with you you know um our phones were, were ringing and then people were saying well what what do we need to do what should happen do we need to like organize an abuse or things like that and we're you know i was kind of articulating to people that look what's happening now is it's not so much something that has been created now but it is more a revelation it is a, a lifting of a, of the veil that's exposing what our country has been like and from 2018 we've been saying you know we need to change what it means to be a man we need to look at the black man we need to look at masculinity we need to fix the brokenness we actually need to have a healing take place we want to make things better but nevertheless it was a time that was incredibly stressful um incredibly pressed and the ability to have a a man who is able to to speak to you to comfort you and to be encouraged um as males and to have a community where i can be vulnerable in a space where i know it's safe where i know i'm not going to get hurt where i know no one's going to take advantage of my vulnerability is um something remarkable and um you know as the community of champions grows it is um really exciting to see how this this brotherhood and this openness of 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 mind and of spirit and of heart um continues to to increase and and to be explored but yes we're going to continue and even go deeper uh, tomorrow lesedi just joined us um i hope you'll be uh you'll be, you'll be able to hear more from him tomorrow but i i saw you had your hand up lesedi uh, yes yes um how how's it going brothers so um yeah my, my response to the question sort of um ties into what um who spoke about just this um realization that you know really i don't know how to connect um to other people and i think on a more personal level what i noticed is that um particularly in the in the in the earlier months of the lockdown was that i'd have this tendency um to try and find ways to be busy um <laughs> you know try try and be be busy now I'm, i'm researching things i'm not even interested in and you know I, i'll just sort of um justified in my mind and say no I'm, i'm researching you know i want to do this and this and this and this maybe um that will justify me being busy but meanwhile um i'm sharing the space at home with my mom who is a single mother of not just myself but my younger brother as well and then also he has online learning for primary school and then it it actually came to a point where um i i think my my mom actually spoke to me about it she's like dude um you know i i i feel quite sorry for to to put it uh in in soft terms i feel quite sorry for the woman that you're going to marry um and then as i sat and thought about that i was like actually um this this tendency to try and be busy to try and be productive um is not really anything new like like pupu mentioned you know the old routine was go to campus off the campus go do other stuff and then um arrive home and by the time i get home it's dinner time um we have our evening family prayer devotions etc etc everyone goes to their room so even in the old routine um i was always comfortable with the family time because i knew it was just like a limited number of hours mm-hmm. but now that yeah we are in the mm-hmm. house the entire day um and online learning wasn't even that hectic because it's not like well for me because we weren't having classes like 24/7 um yeah i also just came to that realization that really um if if i'm not careful um i might actually be another victim to to that um if i can say black man syndrome of of always being busy um and and never being able to connect never really opening up about what's going on and um yeah i think that that was just my experience initially um and then later on it got better because um you know in the process of thinking about all of that i had to actually ask myself okay um how do i connect so it it first started with um setting aside time and then being very strict about it so i'd say okay so from 6 p.m. until certain amount of time um irrespective of what i have to do irrespective of what's happening i'm actually going to force myself um to sit on the couch and and you know 
watch TV with the family, play Scrabble, even though I don't enjoy watching TV in general. I just don't like watching TV. But I just thought that that would actually be a um, practical step. And, and I actually noticed in the course of doing that, um, I came to see that, okay, not, not only are you not really spending time um, with the family, um, but you actually don't really know them that well, and, you know, as a result of not being able to connect with them. And what was also quite weird is that in discovering that you don't really know them as well as you should, um, to an extent, the, the, there's a point where you realize I actually don't know myself either. Because yeah. if, if, I, yes, I, if I knew myself, I, I would find it very easy to, to connect um, with other people. So it's like, okay, so what exactly makes Lissetti tick? What does he like? What does he not like? And how does he use this knowledge and information to interact with others? So in other words, if I know what I enjoy and uh, I'm interacting with someone who maybe has interests that are sort of different to mine, how do I adjust my behaviors um, to be able to relate to them and to be able to, at the very least, um, be able to um, find common ground? So I think that was just a very interesting um, aspect for me on a personal level. And then in the generic sense, um, in my community, um, how, how it has affected men. Oof, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it's very lit. Um, it's very lit because, um, yeah, yeah, I think things got real. I remember um, there was a time where um, I was just speaking to, to one of my friends and then he was actually um, quite traumatized. And then I was asking him what, like, what happened? And he's like, no, you know, there was a sort of an argument or a fight that broke up, that broke out at the neighbor's house. And then what that actually resulted in was the husband or the father of the household um, beating he, his wife. And then he went out, I think, out of, out of realization of what he did, you know, just to try and cool down. And by the time he came back, he realized that he'd, um, you know, abused his wife so much to the point where she actually died. And then he hung himself. Yes. So then after that, he hung himself. And then I was like, yeah, this is crazy. This is really crazy. Um, so I think at, 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 a, at a generic level, um, much like what has already been discussed is that um, the, the identity crisis, the need to provide the misunderstanding of strength and masculinity and all these different things are really um, brought to the surface what was always there. And I think further exacerbated it, if, if um, I'm not exaggerating. So, yeah, it was, it was quite, um, yeah. I think no no words are needed to yeah. and and this city, you know, when you spoke about your neighbor's story, um, I can relate in the sense that my own neighbors um, during this period, um, the men in the house have increased in their aggression, and in many cases, myself and the, the other group of neighbors, because we're a close community, have been required to step in mm-hmm. and when you shared the story, um, as horrific as it is, that has been the reality of this period. Um, many people in our space, even some of the women who volunteer in our programs, have themselves in their homes experienced um, the silent pandemic, the one that wasn't talked about, Um, on the news. Uh, The numbers, you know, are not recorded. And the impact is it's it's impossible to to measure. And when, when we call ourselves BMI champions, it really is beyond to be a blessing to each other and, and a strength to each other and a forum for the improvement of oneself, we must really become agents of change. And uh, one of the hardest things, and one of the questions I got asked repeatedly during this period was, um, from from one was, okay, Mike, so so what's the BMI doing? 
you know, what are you guys doing? You have these amazing conversations and we've seen um, some of the men. I remember that um, earlier this year, we had a conversation online with one of our partners and um, Hupu was a panelist. And um, I remember my phone just receiving so much um, well wishes. People were like, oh, wow, if, if that's the caliber of your champions, you did a great job representing us. Then you guys must be doing amazing work. And people were asking me, well, Mike, you know, how many Mbizos are you going to need to host? How many years do we need to wait? How many champions do we need to raise? Because while you guys are talking, we are dying. While you guys are figuring things out, we are bleeding. And this, this fight, this revolution, to revolutionize the black man, to revolutionize the black family is a fight for lives. And blood is being shed every day because of our failure as a, as a people, and as a people, I mean as, as a black male people to come to grips with ourselves. And I was sharing with one of my friends who's very politically active, but not very passionate about um, dealing with his masculinity and, and standing up against gender-based violence. And he's, he's refused every invitation I've ever given him to come to an imbezel. And I told him right now, the most revolutionary thing a black man can do is make his home a safe place. And this pandemic, has without a doubt categorically exposed that our homes are not safe and they're not safe because we live in them. We are the weapons. And until we, we transform ourselves, until we are able to, to espouse an identity that is healthy, that is not dominating and violent, we will continue to be the weapons that destroy our own homes, our mothers, our sisters, our lovers, our brothers, our friends, our sons, our daughters. Um, so with that said, I think we're gonna close part one and we'll uh, continue the conversation tomorrow.